0: Good Friday is one of those funny days in the Christian calendar. It's a weird one. Carl said that um, just before we started. Um, we know that it's really important. That's why we're here together. But it's, it's an uncomfortable day. The day that Jesus died for us. We are faced with our own indiscretion. On Good Friday. So sometimes, then, because it's uncomfortable, all Friday, all Good Friday, we talk about Sunday, we talk about Easter Sunday. Friday's hard, but Sunday's coming. And rightly so, because we're not uninformed. You know, we know the rest of the Easter story, we know how it ends. And we live always in the light of this resurrected Jesus. Good Friday is the day that we reflect on his death, but we do that knowing and believing that he's alive. And yet this dark day is still one that we have to travel through. The Bible doesn't actually discourage us or deter us from facing the shadows in ourselves and around us, from sitting in the hard place. In fact, I think it's encouraged. We just don't do it very well. Lament is all over the scripture. Lament, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's a theme that runs throughout the Bible, We see it all over the Psalms and we see it with Jesus as well when he prayed in the garden before he was betrayed, before he faced the cross. So how then in the light of what we know do we sit for a while in the shadow day of Good Friday? I actually think it's part of our preparation because these few days leading up to Easter Sunday, in fact, the whole of Lent, really, but specifically these few days, they are a journey that we are on, like a preparation journey that we are on. We don't get to Sunday without Friday. What each one represents is important for the whole journey. I am, uh, I'm either the best or the worst person to talk about this because I have a, a, a predilection towards melancholy, I, uh, I'm a sucker for a sad song, I really am, a good heart-wrenching film gets me every time, every time, maybe it's my personality type, let's mark it up to that, then I can get away with it, that's how it works, right? I promise this won't be too blue or doleful. Um, But I think that Good Friday gives us an invitation into a space which we don't often allow ourselves to occupy here in church, as church together. To pause and to reflect in the space of grief and of defeat. Because Good Friday can feel a little bit like a day of defeat. And this evening I want us to spend some time in a story that happens just before Jesus goes to the cross. So to set the scene, Jesus and his friends had shared this final meal together. They were celebrating the Jewish festival called Passover, an important festival for them. Jesus had gone away to pray. He had cried out to God. He had been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested, taken away deserted by his closest friends that's kind of the big picture the big picture narrative but there's this one encounter between Jesus and one of his disciples one of his closest friends Peter that I want us to reflect on that I think we can learn something from this is in the book of Luke in the bible in chapter 22 it's going to be in the screen behind me or you can follow along if you have a bible with you But Jesus answered, "'No more of this.' And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, "'Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? "'Every day I was with you in the temple courts, "'and you did not lay a hand on me, "'but this is your hour when darkness reigns.' Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it, woman. I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter, the best friend, Peter, full of zeal, fervently believes that Jesus is the Messiah, has committed himself fully Peter gives all of himself. He's not one for half measures. That is until all that he has committed himself to is taken away. We often forget the body blow that this would have been for the disciples. In one evening, they learn that one of their own, Judas, is on the side of those who have all the power and no mercy their teacher, the one they were following, the one they loved, the one they respected, was arrested, taken away, they would have been rightfully terrified. It's easy for us to forget that and think that we would have maybe behaved differently. I actually think we don't give Peter enough credit. I think he did pretty well just getting to the fireside. He was nearby In one evening, everything had unraveled for him. Jesus betrayed. Jesus arrested. Jesus, in the hands of those who seek his life, looks like Jesus is not in charge anymore. And so fear descends and defeat and horror seep in. I think probably all of us are able to relate to that. How quickly fear descends and becomes our lens and our driver when there is an an unravelling in our lives. Whether it's a big, life-changing unravelling or a small one. That's what happens to Peter here. Fear has taken over. His faith got him as far as the fire. But fear rules the roost from then on. By the fire we see Peter standing in the place of defeat. His denial of Jesus exposes all that is falling apart in his world. All that he thought he knew no longer holding up. His denial, fueled by fear, predicted by Jesus brings out all the tumbling doubts. And in the heat of the moment, up against questioning that he knew could get him in trouble, doubting the one that he had given so much for and so fervently believed in, Peter panicked and denied knowing anything at all. Maybe you have some tumbling doubts that you are dealing with today. Maybe all that you thought you knew is unravelling. Maybe it's extreme. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a little thing, but it seems to be casting quite a sizable shadow over your life just now. As it goes with Peter, so it goes with us. Our fears will plant our feet in the place of denial And denial for us is when we remove the possibility or turn ourselves away from the intervention of Jesus. That's denial. And then we side ourselves with defeat. Resigned submission to exactly what we expected and all that we hoped might be different. Where in the world do you go from there? Towards the end of his time by the fire, in the final exchange um, with those around him, there is this small detail which I think gives us somewhere to go. It gives us a different perspective. This is at the end of verse 60. It says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter has an encounter with Jesus in the place of his defeat. In the midst of his denial. In the moments of his failure. In his fear. When he is reacting on impulse. Right when Peter realizes what has happened. What he has done. When everything preceding of the day gone by. Catches up with him. And punches him in the gut. Right then. And crucially. Then the Lord, Jesus, turns and looks at him. So, why is that crucial? Why why is it crucial for Peter? Why is it crucial for us? I think this is maybe why because it shows us that Jesus is as present in the place of defeat. As he is in the place of resurrection. Jesus is as present in the place of defeat as in resurrection. There is room for God in our defeat, in our pain, in our doubt, in the moments of our denial of him. He does not shy away, he is present. What does your defeat look like today? It might be fresh, it might be a memory, recent or distant. It might not even seem like that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, but it still stings. I could name countless little defeats, some that come and go quickly, some that you tarry with for many years. I was 19 when my dad died. It was swift and it was harsh. And I'm not sure that I would have described it as a defeat, actually, until I read around that word, the origin of the word. If you're a word buff, then you'll enjoy this. It sounds terribly impressive, but actually I just googled it. So, there you go. In medieval Latin... The word defeat means undo. Later, it evolved into Old French and it became something more akin to undone. And that made sense to me. Because the loss of a parent has undone me time and again. Grief has undone me over and over. Ten years in and I'm still finding new facets to my long-term companion of grief. And the fear that such an event produces is mammoth. The reactions are severe. Everything you think you know begins to unravel. And you can't do anything about it. And so you doubt and you question You wail and you lament and you doubt and deny the goodness, the very presence of Jesus. And then time passes and your reactions become less extreme and you you learn to live with the everyday reality. But grief and I'm sure many other things, they become these defeats that we carry with us. We have to learn how to walk with them. It would be great if I could stand here and tell you that I always chose the right way to react and that my faith remained steadfast throughout. My faith, for the most part, did remain, but sometimes it hung on just by a thread. Because something had been undone in me. Not unlike Peter. These events, the supper, the garden, the arrest, the fire... Something had been undone in him, and it wasn't over yet. But right there, in the middle of it, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. See, see, Peter's denial narrative, it shows us his moment of weakness and strain and breakdown, but that is in no way the most important thing that it reveals. This moment by the fire reveals the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-loving nature of God. Peter may have denied Jesus, but Jesus didn't deny him. We may deny Jesus. We may feel the weight of defeat and wonder where God is, if he even cares. This story shows us that even in the darkest, most painful hour of Jesus' earthly life, his eyes were still on the ones that he loved And so then, in his resurrection, in his risen, glorified, fully alive, victorious state, how much more is this true? Even in the darkest, most painful moments of my life, and when those moments decide to surface again, Jesus still turns to me. He still turns to each of us. In the moment of our sin, in the moment of our shame, in the moment of our despair, Jesus turns to us. And this is the light that we live in. This is the truth that we can believe. This is the story of the cross. And because of the cross, we then come at this from a different perspective. We know the whole story. We live in the light of the resurrection. But to live fully in the light of resurrection, whether we like it or not, we must also walk through the valley of defeat. Because that is following Jesus. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it for us. Jesus tells us that we will share in his sufferings as we share in his glory and his victory. In this world, you will have trouble. Thankfully, it goes on to say, take heart, for I have overcome the world. But still, in this world, you will have trouble. And at another point, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, but I will still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Peter here, he was smack bang in the middle of the valley of trouble. After he had denied him the third time, when the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. No words here from Peter, actually. Just weeping. The cock crowed. Jesus turned. Peter remembered and he wept. My final thought is this the whole journey of, of the cross, it has everything to do with us and at the same time very little to do with us because this was all Jesus. Peter had no words, just weeping. And that was okay Because Jesus who predicted, Jesus who succumbed to the lashings, to the mocking, to the trials, despite all of it, in the darkest hour of his life, he still turned. Maybe you have uh, no words tonight that is okay because Jesus turns to us and stays with us in our silence in fact few words are needed at the cross of Jesus so maybe you need to know the presence of Jesus with you in your place of defeat as you look towards resurrection, allow yourself this evening to sit in that hard place and let him comfort you. Or maybe you need to know that Jesus doesn't deny you today. You may know your own denial of him, the place where you have rejected him turned from him, denied his presence or his goodness, but the beauty of the story of the cross is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus will not turn from you or deny you today, no matter what you are coming with. Or perhaps there are just no words And like Peter, you need to know Jesus in the silence. To know the relief of the assurance that he brings. That at his cross, we don't need to know the words to say. It is a place of extravagant generosity. Life given for us. There are no words that can justify that.